Christian Revelations is a completely free podcast for the new Christian looking to learn more about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how to implement His teachings in our lives and the world today. And for the older Christian looking to dig deeper into the Word of God, edification, and the fellowship of the body of Christ. And now our host, Pastor Robert. How long should we have to wait for God? To a faithful Christian, the answer to that question is simple. We should wait forever. But how long is our forever? I often find myself praying the same prayer over and over again as if I thought maybe God didn't hear me the first time. Um, Of course... Of course I know that God is listening to us, and I know he is always listening, and he doesn't mind that we pray the same same prayer over and over. But do you sometimes feel like he's not listening to you? Do you sometimes feel like your prayers may not be important? Do you sometimes feel like God might be ignoring you or pushing you to the wayside? The truth is, he is listening. He is. He knows that you are important and he loves you. Amen. And he looks down on us, wanting us to understand that, that he is there for us and we need to trust that. Mm-hmm. We often attach our feelings to God believing that he will feel the same way we do about certain things. And in our minds, God is like a parental figure. We feel that he should share our same feelings, he should have the same worries that we have, and he should have the same hopes and dreams we do. More often than not, we give God human characteristics. And when we give God these human characteristics, We have a tendency to trap him in what we know as time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if we accept that God is, God was, and God always will be, then we must accept the fact that time and reality does not relate to God and us in the same way. That's right. In 1965, the birds made famous a words written in 935 BC. In 935 BC, King Solomon wrote these words, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Knowing that there is a time for everything, I would like to talk about a time that would make all of us think that God wasn't listening. We, we probably would have lost our minds thinking he was not there for us as we prayed. And I want to talk about how this time was the prelude to the most theologically significant person of the four Gospels besides Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Malachi, chapter 4. Verses 5 through 6. 
Here's a little background information leading up to our verses. The Jewish people had returned from their captivity in Babylon. The Medo-Persian Empire still ruled over Israel. The temple had been rebuilt, and both the law and the priesthood of Aaron had been restored. And the Israelites were no longer worshiping false idols. But they were mistreating their wives, they were marrying pagans, and they were not tithing. The priests were neglecting the temple and not preaching the ways of God. God used the Medes and the Persians under the leadership of King Cyrus to free the people of Israel and to help fund the rebuilding of the temple. And in doing so, God showed them that they are never forsaken. But they were still not totally honoring God. And this is where Malachi's warning comes in. Chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And then... There was silence, 400 years of silence. Can you imagine that? Long time. During the 400 years of silence, God was not speaking. He didn't speak through his prophets. He didn't speak through angelic messengers. And he did not speak face to face as one speaks to a friend, like he did with Moses. But the facts show that the life and times of the people of Israel were far from silent. In 333 BC, Israel was taken by the Greeks. In 323 BC, it fell to the Egyptians. In 204 BC, it was captured by Antiochus the Great of Syria, who persecuted the Jews and sold their priesthood. In 171 BC, Epiphanes desecrated the Holy of Holies, which was the inner chamber of the sanctuary in the temple of Jerusalem. It was separated by a veil, and it was for the presence of God. And the only time it could be entered was by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. God was not only silent, but he appeared to have abandoned his people. Or did he? Could it be at all possible that God had a plan? Turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. This is where we find our ending to the 400 years of silence and the introduction of the person who would be the most theologically significant person of the Gospels besides Jesus. Like Abraham and his wife, we find an older couple, couple without child. Zacharias is a priest, and his wife Elizabeth is a daughter of Aaron. It is said that they were both righteous in God's sight and without blame, according to all the commandments and requirements of God. Zacharias was cho chosen to burn incense in the sanctuary of the Lord, 
At the hour of incense, while everyone was outside praying, an angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias. The angel Gabriel tells him that he and his wife will have a son. At this very moment, the 400 years of silence is broken, and God finally begins to speak to his people again. Imagine how Israel must have felt as the God of their fathers went silent. Generations after generations went without one word from the God that they loved and trusted. And like today, we have our faithful who were trying to reassure the people that God is in everything. And just like today, we have people who turned their backs on God and searched for comfort elsewhere. They raised political and spiritual figures to godlike status. Truth be told, it can be difficult to have such a faith-based structure without the word of God. We all have our doubts about tomorrow. We all worry about what to wear, what to eat, who to trust, and the list goes on. Without God's word, without his Holy Spirit, and without his Son, we are left trudging through our lives, fearful of everything around us, worried about what's to come, and angry at a God who has left us in a world such as this. I myself am eternally grateful for God, for his Holy Spirit, and for his Son. God had a plan for Israel and all nations and all people. He would send a prophet in the spirit of Elijah, a man who would bring many to repentance and prepare for the coming of the Lord. Luke 1, verses 15 through 17 says this, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Elias the Latin version for Elijah, was an Old Testament prophet. He preached repentance and reformation. He was brave, he was strong, and he told the truth no matter what. His message reflected the meaning of his name, which was, the Lord is my God. It is said that a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated him and Elijah, and he was carried by a whirlwind up into heaven. So here, now we have our promised forerunner. He is a man who would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was consecrated from his mother's womb, just as the prophet Jeremiah was. He believed he was believed by many to be a Nazarite from birth, but the Bible doesn't talk about a Nazarite vow. His physical description is similar to what we believe a Nazarite would look like, and Gabriel 
tells Zacharias he will not drink wine or strong drink. His name means God is gracious. He is the man that we know as John the Baptist. A Nazarite is someone who voluntarily takes a vow described in the books in the book of Numbers chapter 6 verses 1 through 21. Nazarite comes from a Hebrew word nazir meaning consecrated or separated. This vow required a person to abstain from alcohol, to not cut their hair, um, and to not become ritually impaired by contact with corpses and graves, even ones of the family. John the Baptist was a highly influential figure. He inspired many Jews to embrace his teachings. He challenged the authority of religious leaders and political leaders. He is described in the New Testament as a teacher, a preacher, a religious reformer, an ascetic, which would be someone who abstained from all indulgences, usually for religious reasons. Being an ascetic could have been what made people think he was a Nazarite. He was described as a critic, a mentor, a priest, a messenger, a rival, and Elijah revived. John the Baptist argued that a person's deeds must reflect their inner virtue for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Walking on the path of righteousness was for John about continuing to bear fruits worthy of repentance, sharing food and clothing with those who are without, taking no more than what is lawful, and refraining from using your position in society to harm those less fortunate. It is interesting that Malachi and Gabriel would both use the comparison to Elijah because like Elijah, John was fearless. He preached repentance and reformation. We don't know much about their younger years, but they seemed to just appear out of nowhere with a faithful and commanding presence. They both confronted evil rulers. They both lived in the wilderness on primitive diets. They both had a rough appearance. They both rebuked Israel for corruption in their religion. They both led many to repentance, and they were both victims of evil women. As John grew up, he fled. He, he felt led to the desert to prepare the way for the Lord. He lived on wild honey and locusts while preparing himself for the message of the coming Messiah. He baptized others, called for repentance of sin, preaching that one greater than him was coming. When Jesus arrived to be baptized by John, John immediately knew that he was the Messiah. After Jesus was baptized, the Bible tells us, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This was the confirmation that everybody needed, John needed, to know for sure that this was the son of God and the Messiah. John had met the Messiah in the flesh. He fully realized that his mission was coming to an end, and he said this by saying, he must increase 
I must decrease. When John sees Jesus again, he tells his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes the sins away from the world. This is he whom I said, After me cometh a man who which is preferred before me, because he was before me. After this, John's disciples followed Jesus. John's mission of preparing the way of the Lord was done. John the Baptist was executed at the Dead Sea Fortress of Machaerus, which is in present-day Jordan. He died defending God's law. And Jesus said of him, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. The importance of John the Baptist cannot be overlooked. He was the last and the greatest of prophets who prepared the people of Israel to receive the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, I, I have heard it said that God answers prayers in one of three ways. He says yes, he says no, and he says wait. Because we are human and we, because we in, exist inside of time, we cannot see what will happen tomorrow. We can't see what's going to happen 10 years from now or even 400 years from now. Our desires come from a need to see results now. We gather information from yesterday, apply those lessons and strategies to today, and we expect results tomorrow. God, on the other hand, can see everything. He can see the past, the present, and the future, and he sees it all at the same time. To him, our season of waiting takes no time at all. To us, it seems to take an eternity. We just don't relate to time the way God does. That's right. Amen. Earlier, I talked about giving God human characteristics. I admit it's difficult to talk to God and not think as a human would think. We often pray in a manner of asking our neighbor to borrow some sugar or asking a friend to help us move. But that neighbor won't know that the sugar they lent you will be the catalyst to the diabetes that you get 10 years from now. But God will. Your friend who helps you move won't realize that the apartment complex you moved into could burn down in three weeks. But God will. Mm -hmm. God will be working through the doctors who diagnose that diabetes and help you manage it. God will be working through the firemen who pull you from the burning building. If God is everywhere and in everything, then he knows what we need, and he knows when we'll be ready to receive it. Amen. I have a friend who just so happens to be in the top ten of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life. She told me that there was a point in her life when she wanted to be in a relationship. She was frustrated that there was no man that fit the bill that she was ready for. Her mother told her this, 
God has the right man picked out for you. And though you are ready, he may not be ready yet. And guess what? She was right. After patiently waiting, he showed up, and they are currently living happily ever after. The ability to wait and the gift of patience are invaluable to our walk with the Lord. 400 years of waiting brought a man who would pave the way to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. After 400 years of waiting, a voice crying in the wilderness told us of the greatest gift that we would ever receive. In closing, I would like to tell you a true story. Sad, but true. Sunday, October 8, 1871, an evangelist by the name of D.L. Moody held his usual evening service. At the close of that service, he asked the congregation to evaluate their relationship with Christ and return the following week to make a decision. Sadly, that was the last Sunday most of those people would have ever seen. While the closing hymn was being sung, the sound of fire trucks and church bells drowned out the singing. That was the start of the great fire of Chicago. Many of his congregation that he told to go home and think died in that fire, and he never saw any of them ever again. And he spent, he got very sick after that. And he died scared and worried that those people were not saved. That he gave them the choice to wait a week when he should have given them the choice to come up now. Though I have stressed the importance and the greatness of waiting for God, there are things concerning God that we should never wait for. Most importantly, we must never wait to confirm our faith and love in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Above all, we should never wait to ask him for forgiveness. And we should never wait to lay our burdens before his feet. Amen. Thank you for choosing Christian Revelations. We hope you were just as blessed in receiving the message as we were in preparing and delivering it. As always, we will welcome you back again with open arms, open hearts, open minds, and open Bibles with your host, Pastor Robert. Blessings to you all.